0: is he, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Wow. And we're here to worship him and hear from him tonight. If you have your Bibles, you may want to go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 1, book of the Acts, A-C-T-S. We always say that like we're saying A-X, the Acts of the Apostles. It's Acts of the apostles. Uh, can't, can't ever get out of saying it that way, though, I don't guess. But it's it's not something the apostles cut with, it's something they did. And so uh, we're going to just look at the first chapter of that, or part of that first chapter tonight, as we come to the, uh, the second half, really, of the Apostles' Creed. We come to the part tonight that says, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of of, of God the Father Almighty. Now, in, in looking at that, I, I'm going to stop there. There's another phrase in that paragraph, if you will, which says, Whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We'll talk about that in our next time on the Apostles' Creed. But, but tonight we're talking about he ascended into heaven. Because if you notice that from the week or the, session, the time before, the sermon before, Uh, The last thing we looked at was that he descended into hell. We talked about all that that meant. And the third day, he arose again from the dead. The thing we see here now, the creed is now moving, if you will, from Easter into the present ministry of the resurrected Lord. It's moving from Easter to the ascension. The ascension of Christ took place 40 days after his resurrection. After he had spent time among his disciples, after he had been seen by all of the original apostles, and at one point, just before his ascension, seen by 500 who witnessed his presence and saw his ascending to glory, Paul says in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, using that as uh, an indication of, as a proof of, if you will, as an evidence of his resurrection, that he was seen he was visible he was he was not this was not something that was done behind closed doors or done hidden somewhere it was done out in the open the the apostles creed when he said, when it says he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of god the father almighty is is not just speaking of something that is theoretical or theological by itself it is theological because it's talking about God, it's talking about Christ, it's talking about uh, where he is right now. But it does even more than that. It's talking about uh, some very practical truths for you and me as believers today. When we think about the ministry of Jesus, we we think about things like, like the fact that having come down to earth from heaven, he came down here to redeem us. Jesus now returns to heaven to intercede for us. He came to earth to redeem, go to the cross, die, sacrificial, substitutionary death. And it, but after that was accomplished, the resurrection took place, he ascended back, and the scripture tells us that he is now there interceding for each one of us who are his children, his disciples. He, he came down to earth from heaven with a great humility. He humbled himself, taking on the form of man, the form of flesh, Paul tells us in Philippians, and he came down here in an unbelievable humility. The God of creation, the, the only begotten of the Father, the one who is the eternal Son of God, the one who is clothed in human flesh, but his absolute deity also humbled himself by taking on this body. The greatest act of humility the world has ever seen. But he returns to heaven in triumph and in glory, having accomplished all that was necessary for our salvation. Uh, someone has said he came as a lamb. He ascended back into heaven and one day will come again as a lion. And that's what we'll talk about next time And we talk about the part on judgment. He came as a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. He will one day come in judgment, but he, he has done that in a victorious manner. Another thing I want you to see sort of in preliminary th- thinking here before we get into the, the scripture that backs up this part of the creed is I want you to understand that in no way does the ascension of Christ mean that Christ is now absent from the world. I mean, let's face it, you cannot read the book of Acts from, from one end to the other and not see the presence and have the impression that Jesus is not with his people. He is there in everything, in the jail cells with Peter and and Paul, in, in the shipwrecks with the Apostle Paul. As that early church took the gospel across the earth, you see the presence of Christ. So the fact that he has ascended into heaven does not mean that he is not still present with his body and present with his people. That's an important thing to understand as we think about this concept of the creed. Indeed, Paul, in, in Galatians chapter 20 and verse 2, if you look over there in that, that great verse, and we've, we talked about it in depth when we looked at uh, Galatians uh, last year and studying that, but in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul makes it clear that I have been crucified with Christ... And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says, I want you to understand that this risen, ascended Christ, this one who now is seated at the right hand of the Father, is still present within me. And the life I live, I live because he lives in me. He lives within my life. He lives present among me in all of his glory. Now look with me at Acts, without his preliminary statements, look at at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 are our best recording, if you will, or recollection of that ascension. Luke writes this, he says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up into heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, what's he talking about when he says, now, the first account I composed? It's not a rhetorical question. Yes, the the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote to Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? Well, we really don't know. Uh, Theophilus is a compound word that literally just means lover of God. And so somebody, whether that was his actual given name or whether that was a name Luke gave him because he was a lover of God and a lover of Christ, I don't know. But in in the book of Luke, he's talking to him, he says, about all that Christ began to do and teach until the time when he was taken up into heaven after he had given orders to the apostles. Then verse three says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convicting proofs, convincing proofs, according excuse me, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it the time uh, you are, are, are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, and that is the presence of Christ, after his ascension the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he's standing there talking to his disciples, talking to the apostles. But after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And that's the account of the ascension. There's not a lot of detail there. There's not a lot of of things that, well, I guess a movie producer could have a heyday with it, perhaps. With that particular instance, I'm, I guess they have in movies before, to be honest with you. But, but the picture here is not that they just stood and they watched Jesus as he went. You know, have, have you ever, we used to live in Florida, and one of the most amazing things was every now and then, and you never got tired of seeing it, was watching the space shuttle launch and you could, you could see it from where we lived in Orlando. You could see it over on the coast, and, and I remember one night in prayer meeting. I'd been there for six or seven years, you know, and we were having prayer meeting, and somebody came running into prayer meeting and said, they just launched the space shuttle, and everybody got up and ran out. <laughs> and I thought, we've seen that hundreds of times, or scores of times. What's the big deal? But you know what I did? I followed them out. And I watched it. It just went up and up. And, and I mean, you, you don't just say, "Oh, well, there it goes. You go back in. You watch it, and it, it becomes a speck. And finally, it's nothing. It's just gone. And you go, wow. Well, the ascension of Christ really wasn't like that. You, you, we you know, we were watching them go through the ionosphere and stratosphere and whatever spheres are up there. I forgot all those that go with my science studies 50 years ago but you watched it you watch what they're watching is not just Jesus ascending into the sky and above the stars and right on up there to where you don't know where he's getting to but he ascends up and it says a cloud received him it just it was almost like there he goes he's gone you know he, he he wasn't going into a spatial thing necessarily he was going into the presence of the father Now, I know a lot of people struggle with that question. Where is heaven? You know, heaven is a representation of the presence of God, and and heaven in in scripture is defined several different ways. One, it is where God is. And we all want to know where is that? We, as a child, we tend to think heaven's up there, hell's down there. And and somewhere under the earth, and, and heaven's somewhere out there in the skies. It's somewhere. I don't know where it is. If you, if you ask me where is heaven, I, I'd have to say, I'll tell you where heaven is. Heaven is where Jesus is. And then if you backed up and said, well, where is Jesus? I'd say he's in heaven. And, uh, and that's about as clear as I can be on that. I don't know the location. When the, the Soviet cosmonauts went up in their spaceship and said they looked everywhere and didn't see God anywhere, they fail to understand what we're talking about. We're talking about heaven. It's more than just the heavens. It's more than just the sky. It's more than just space. It is a specific place that God has prepared for his people, for his children. And I don't I can't tell you where it is. I can't give you a road map other than one road map, Jesus Christ, who said, "I am the way to that place." So so as far as spatially, we can't have a concept of that. And, and so they're sitting there, and they watch him go, and then just in a matter of seconds, in a matter of, uh, it appears of the twinkling of an eye, he's gone. And he's gone into the presence of the Father. And indeed, as the creed says, he is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That's the clarity with which the Scripture gives us. It doesn't tell us a lot of details, doesn't answer a lot of our curiosities, but it tells us, Everything we need to know. Jesus is in the presence of the Father. I, I like the way Peter so, talks about this same matter in, in Acts chapter 2. If you turn over there with me to Acts chapter 2, and specifically beginning verse 33. Reading through 36. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. That's on the day of Pentecost. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but David himself says, "The Lord said to me, 'Sit at my right hand.'" The Lord said to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet." Therefore. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter is, is, if you will, capturing the essence of the creed when he says, and he is now exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's where he is. But, but what is the practical realities for us as believers Living right now in Somerset, Kentucky, in 2010. Well, first of all, we understand, and we've already kind of dealt with this, that the ascension is Jesus' bodily departure from earth into the Father's presence at His right hand. Someone asked me a few weeks ago, uh, and they were struggling with this idea does Jesus still have a body? You know, Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected bodily from the grave, and he ascended in bodily form, albeit not the not the body like we tend to think about. You know, I mean, I, I can't tell you what the body's like exactly, but we know that it's different. We know it's prepared for glory. It's prepared for heaven. It doesn't have any blemishes, doesn't have any uh, any infirmities to it like we think of. I mean, I, I, I hope I have a, you know, 26-inch waist and uh, other things when I get to heaven. It'll be a little better than this one. But um, but we do have a body in heaven, and Christ still maintains a body even in 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 this time. He is bodily seated. He is physically seated as well as spiritually seated at the right hand of the Father. If you go to a point that he's not, that he's bodiless right now, you fall into some of the greatest heresies of the Christian church, which We don't want to do so, we won't go there. Secondly, the ascension means for us, basically it it confirms God's saving work by publicly witnessing to the claims of Christ. There there are five dimensions of that I want you to see. The the ascension publicly publicly confirms the saving work of Christ and the claims of Christ five ways. One, basically it says Christ's work worked. His saving, atoning worth. As the resurrection was a part of that confirmation, you who he who died and was died as a sacrifice, coming back to life three days later, God was saying, This is my son. I'm well pleased in his work. He has compl- he has accomplished and completed everything I sent him to do. Forty days later, after ministering to his disciples, His ascension does much the same thing. It it, it declares that all that he said and all that he did was absolutely true. And the atonement has been accomplished and completed. Uh, Paul is dealing with that somewhat in in Philippians chapter uh, chapter 2. If you want to look over there quickly with me to Philippians chapter 2. Paul talks about that. In verses 1 through 8, he says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any uh, affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than themselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Now, up to there, you don't see anything about the ascension. You don't see anything about the work of Christ. But what Paul is saying is what I'm about to tell you makes this a possibility, makes it a reality. Verse 5, have this attitude or have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he was God. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Paul is saying there, we are to be of one mind, we are to do things not out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with regard to one another, with care for one another, with ministry to one another, because of what he has done in his coming and saving His work worked is the declaration that comes from the creed and from the scriptures in clarity. The second thing it tells us is that Jesus will be with us. His ascension and then... Consequently, on the day of Pentecost, in in Acts 2, him sending the Holy Spirit. And the body of Christ was baptized uh, in the Holy Spirit that day. The Holy Spirit became a present reality in their lives as believers and in the church corporately together. When that took place on that day, we have the assurance, the promise, the, the clarity that Jesus will be with us forever. Again, you see it in the book of Acts. You see it in our lives today when we know the presence of Christ. J.I. Packer, in, in his little book on the, uh, on the Apostles' Creed, made, uh, quoted uh, an 18th century, he called it a jingle. I don't, I don't know that in the 18th century they knew what a jingle was, but Packer, in his uh, unusual way, called it a jingle. I'll just call it a song, but it's quite simple, and I'd never heard of it until this. But the words go like this, just six short lines. Love moved thee to die, and on this I rely. My Savior hath loved me, I cannot tell why, but this I can find. We two are so joined, he'll not be in glory and leave me behind. I mean, it's the promise of the presence of Christ, and the promise that not only in this life, but in the next life, we will be in his presence. You know, we, we think about that sometimes when we have funerals. We think about the reality that the one who lies there in the coffin uh, at the front of the service when, when death has come, if they are a believer, we rejoice in the fact that th- they're no longer in that body. But they have moved into the presence of Christ somehow, some mystical sort of way, I understand. But that we understand that in that day, in the judgment day, in the in the second coming of Christ, they will be reunited with the body, and that body will be changed into a glorious body and be with him forever. We will always be with Jesus, and he will always be with us. It means also that we as Christians will share in Jesus' inheritance. That all that he has is ours. We are joint heirs with him, Paul says, with all that he has, all that he is. We're adopted into his family, and so we're placed in the will, if you will. We're placed in the the recipients of the inheritances of all that is Christ. The ascension also means that Jesus reigns. That he you see him going up in a royal regal sort of way and, and he reigns over all of his creation. He is not just a savior, he is the king. He is not just a savior, he is the Lord and he reigns over all his creation and all of life. And the final thing about this ascension that I, I think we should see is that there's something very There's something very compelling about it. Even 2,000 years later, as we stand on this side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, as we stand here, the the ascension should draw our hearts away from earthly things and should cause us more than anything else uh, to desire fellowship with the one who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, in reality, the creed is stating that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God. And this is a very powerful image. In, in Colossians, just one book over from Philippians there, if you're still there. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... And we say that that's what happens in the the salvation experience. We die to self, and we are raised with Christ. We are raised to newness of life. And Paul says, if that has happened in your life, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds... On the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. That's the essence of this part of the Creed that we have been raised to newness of life, we have been redeemed, we have been saved, We been, uh, any word that you want to use to talk about our salvation in Christ has been given to us, and being raised to newness of life, we are to set our minds on the things above, not on the things of the world. That's to be our focus. That's. That doesn't mean you, that doesn't mean you become a monk and go live in a cave somewhere. We all may be living in caves somewhere if the economy keeps going the way it is, but Spiritually matters. It doesn't mean you just abdicate everything there is. No comforts, no no utilitarian things in life. You don't turn off the electricity and turn off your telephone and just go subsist somewhere. That's not what he's talking about. But he is talking about the priority of your life the main point of your life, the greatest desire in your life, the real focus of your mind, the real focus of your heart is on things above, not on things of this earth. It's a powerful image that Paul gives us to think about the ascension of Christ to glory. In the the grace notes, and this morning I mentioned Thomas Cramner writing in the 1500s. Uh, he was the Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, in in England. Uh he he served during a really exciting time of that history of that country when when Henry the Eighth was the uh the one of the kings, served under two, I forget the other one, but Henry the Eighth was one of them. And and Cramer wrote the original prayer book for the Anglican church. Now I know we're Baptists, we're not liturgical, we don't we don't get into these things like prayer books and all. We think all prayer should be spontaneous and You know, if you write it down, it can't be from the heart. That's really wrong, but sometimes we act that way. But Cramner had a collect, and I explain collect in the grace notes is just a small, short, very brief prayer, but with a lot of meat to it. He wrote a collect for Ascension Sunday, which comes 40 days after Easter. And this is what he wrote. It's really simple. I'm going to read it in the old English language, so you'll have to translate as I go. Grant, we beseech thee, Almighty God, that like as we do believe thy only begotten Son, our Lord, to have ascended into the heavens, grant so we also in heart and mind thither ascend, and with him continually dwell. I don't really know what thither descend Ascend means, except maybe quickly, let's follow. But he said, well, may we also in heart and mind ascend with him and with him continually dwell. We are seated in the heavenlies with Christ if we are in him. We're on earth, but spiritually we're seated with him and his authority is our authority. His life is our life we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we that live, but Christ lives in us. And the life that we now live in the flesh, we live for the glory of Christ. That, my friend, is what the ascension is all about. And that's what the creed is emphasizing in those two short lines. Let's pray together. Again, Lord, we're thankful for the truth of your word and for the power of the imagery of the ascension of Christ that is, is to us just imagery. To those 500 disciples gathered around that day, it was, it was visible and it was, it was something like they'd never seen before. And yet they got to see it with their eyes. Lord, we must look at it with the eyes of faith. We must look at it, Lord, through the the, the recording of history and by by Luke and others. And Father, we must understand the imagery as clearly as we possibly can. Father, help us to help us to live in light of the ascension. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.